And the truth is, did you know that everything about Christianity rests upon one exclusive event? I want to say that again, and we'll talk about it next week. Everything surrounding Christianity rests upon one exclusive event. In fact, had this event, which you know is the resurrection of Jesus, you and I could just disperse. We could go home. We could just say, forget it. This is just uh, wasted time. It is meaningless time if this is all there is. But listen, everything rests upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, shortly before Jesus was crucified, uh, he announced that when the time came that he would be nailed to the cross and he would die, Jesus made this bold declaration. He said, after I have died, three days following, I'm going to come back to life again. See, no other leader in any other religion ever made a claim that bold and then delivered on it. But Jesus delivered on it, and he spent 40 days walking around Jerusalem and seen by countless numbers of people, and uh, we're going to talk about that next week, and what does the resurrection of Jesus really mean? I'm really fired up about next week. Again, be sure you bring some people with you. Now, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, it was funny, uh, a guy that I know just because I see him where I study uh, over my notes one final time on Sunday morning. I, I'm here. I meet the team. They come in at 7 o'clock, start setting everything up, be praying for them. Next week, they arrive at 530. How many of you are going to be praying for them? Yeah, they're going to be arriving at 5.30, so you'll be praying for them. So I meet the team at 7, and then I go after I've been here an hour or so and just sit down and, and uh, have a quick breakfast, but I'm reading over my notes, and a guy, older guy that I've, I've met, don't, uh, don't really know well. I just see him. We talk. Um, we know each other because we see each other once a week at, at McDonald's. Did I just say that out loud? Did I say that? Um, how many of you know Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays? How many of you know I'd be at Chick-fil-A if Chick-fil-A was open on Sundays? But I'm glad, I'm glad that they are closed on Sundays. So this guy came up to me, and uh, he said, you're giving out palm. He's an unchurched guy. I hope he'll be here next week. He, uh, he said, are you giving out palm branches today? It is Palm Sunday. And I'm, I was impressed that he knew that. And I'm like, no, we don't really have any palm branches to give out uh, today. So unless you know of some, and if you do, let me know. We'll give them out at the end. But I don't have any to give out. But it is Palm Sunday, and for the next several minutes, I want to talk to you about the reason why Jesus came to the earth. We know that Palm Sunday begins the Holy Week, and so uh, we want to talk about that. But I want you to look at this verse, because in one succinct statement, Jesus lays out the reason why he came to the earth. And I want you to see it with me. He said, for the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those that are lost. He came to seek and to save those that are lost. Now, sometimes if you're not as familiar with the term, some people can look at the word lost with a sense of negativity to think, well, that's a, that's a negative term. But in actuality, something that is lost actually speaks of something that has value. So uh, somebody may say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't ever use the word loss to a lost person because that speaks negatively. But in actuality, it's just the opposite of that. It speaks a value. And I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, if you're a lady, you lose your purse. Uh, how, many of you, uh, how many of you ladies know that would be pretty important? Uh, how many of you guys, if you lost your wallet, uh, that would be 
pretty important to you. And you'd say it'd be more important if she'd give me some money out of her purse so I'd have some money in my wallet. But that's a whole other thing you can hash out when you get home today. Or if you lost your car keys. Or how about this? Would something be valuable? Let's say, for example, it wasn't your wallet or your car keys or a valuable ring. How important would that be? But what if you lost your job? That, that would be really, really, I mean, it speaks. Something that is lost is something of value. Uh, you know, my grandkids are all down right now. And uh, my grandkids actually brought my son and daughter-in-law with them from Illinois. And so uh, last week, I took Brody. He's the three-year-old. If you've been around here sometime, you know that you've heard me talk about Brody, who has a whole nother gear and a whole nother energy level that has never been seen in the history of human beings ever. And I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to take him to the park. And I wanted he and I just to have some time together. And because of his nature, I'm like, I, I better be like full alert. Like, don't, don't take your eyes off of, this, off of this child. And I'm like, okay, I'm, wherever he goes, I'm going. I'd already said to him, Brody, make sure that Papa can always see you. If you can't see me, I can't see you, which actually meant nothing to him whatsoever, I found out, for the next couple of hours. And so I just thought I'd watch him for a while and I see him climb up into this big deal. And then I'm like, okay, he went up this way. So that's fine. I got my eye on. I didn't realize there were seven different ways you could come down from where he went up to. And I mean, my heart is beating fast. And, and then he goes to this another area and it's like this uh, sort of, it looks like a grassy knoll, but it's artificial turf. And it looks like kids are rolling down and he climbs up and he's smiling. And I'm thinking uh, he's going to just roll down at any moment. And I'm like standing there. I'm like, ready, ready, ready. You know, he's going to, don't take your eyes off of this child. Don't lose this child, whatever you do. And I'm waiting for him. And he disappeared. And the only th way I can describe it, it was like a manhole, you know, and he's, he just goes down in this tunnel. And I'm like, what has just happened? And I start to panic a little bit. And I say to this mom, if I lose this child, I'm a dead man. I said, I don't even know where he is. And she said, well, it's a tunnel. And I'm like, oh, goodness, he's in a tunnel. That's all I need. And I'm like, how do I get to the tunnel? She said, it's got two ends. And I'm like, how do I? I'm one person. How do I go? And uh, fortunately, I walked away, and I could see him in there, and he's grinning. He looks like he's doing nothing, but he's so stinking mischievous. And I think he knows what he's doing to me. But, uh, you know, how would Nicole and Brent have felt when I came home just said, hey, he's a good boy, but you've got three others? I mean, really? You got three others? I lost him. Don't be so greedy. You got 75% of what you started with. Lost things have value. Lost people has value. But what does it mean to be spiritually lost? You know what it means? It means to be disconnected from God. It means to be detoured from that which is God's plan and intention for our life. Here's a verse that fits all of us here today. This is out of Isaiah. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. Haven't we all done that at some point in our lives? We've all done our own thing. Wave your hand at me if you've ever done your own thing. Yeah, we've all done that. We've gone our own way. And to be spiritually lost means that I'm disconnected from God or I've just said, you know what, I know that this is God's plan for my life, but I've got another plan. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do it my way. Forget you, God. And all of us, regrettably, at some point in our life, we have done that. Hopefully, we're not doing that now. I'm excited about today's journey because it's going to take us right up to the story of three people. And in each situation, we're going to notice that Jesus, who, as you see on the screen, who is a friend of sinners, he restores to each one of these something that they had lost. 
For one person, he restored their health. For another person, he restored their freedom. And as we'll see before we're done, for another person, it was all about the restoration of their dignity. Now, whenever Jesus went into a town or village, according to the scriptures, this is what he would do. He would preach, he would teach, and he would heal. So that's really, uh, you know, the, the idea of what the gospel is all about. And if you follow it in terms of what was the unfolding of Jesus' ministry, he'd go from place to place. And he would preach, and he would te teach, and he would heal. Let's begin with healing because Jesus came to restore health to those who had lost it. Now, you're going to see these verses up on the screen. The guys are going to put them up there. This is Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Follow along with me, please. Verses 23 and 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. So now he's moved out of, out of Israel. Uh, throughout Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those who suffered pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And read these last four words with me, everybody. Read them with me. And he healed them. And he healed them. And that's primarily one of the things that Jesus would do. Now, the person, and there's so many different examples for each one of these areas we could go to. It's not just a person, it's people, but we're identifying one in each situation. Somebody that had restored health, somebody that had restored freedom, somebody that had restored dignity. In the case of the one that we're going to look at in just a moment, this person that we're going to focus on is actually a leper. And if a person happened to be a leper in Jesus' day, they were essentially afflicted with a terminal disease. It was like their death sentence had been spelled out. Also, if you happen to be a leper at this time, then the way that most people thought about you is that you were somehow under the judgment of God. That you at some point in your life did something so, so badly that that's the reason why you've been stricken with such a dreaded disease. So think about that. If you are a leper, you've got so many things stacked uh, uh, against you, a terminal disease for, for most. For other people looking at you, it was like, you know what? They're under uh, God's condemnation because they did something really bad in their life. And to further complicate matters, you would forever be an outcast. You, you, you couldn't even you couldn't even go to church because the church was in the city and you couldn't go in the city. You had to stay out and you couldn't be around people. In fact, if anybody accidentally got near you, you would just have to start crying out unclean. You'd have to wore like, wear like torn garments so that that was visible uh, right away. And you'd have to just scream out as loud as possible, unclean, 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 so that nobody would get in close proximity to you. So it was a dreaded life in so many respects. But I want you to notice what Jesus does in Mark chapter 1. Look at this up on the screen. It says, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. I love these three words. Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. And that was a really big deal, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. I am willing, Jesus said, be healed, and instantly the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed in that moment. I want you to think about something because we said when something is lost, in this case, a man who had lost his health, he's a leper, 
And in a situation like this, a guy who's lost, did you know, it leads me to say this, did you know that one-third, one-third of Jesus' ministry was devoted to healing? Did you know that? That one-third. Did you know this, that if you happen to be a leper, you could never, would never be touched by anybody for any reason because you were unclean? And there was this idea that if I were to touch somebody with this, this dreaded condition, then I'm going to get it myself, and I'm going to be in the same spot that they are. This dreaded disease outside of the camp, away from family, friends, lost your job, could never go back home, and a leper could never be touched. See, if you were a leper, you never had anybody give you a hug. You didn't even know what that was like. You, to be hugged was now, you know, you couldn't even remember if you had been a leper for some time what that was like. Nobody would shake your hand. Nobody would pat you on the back. You could never hold hands with anybody. You could never even give somebody a high five. I mean, you just could, you would just, you know, based on, you know, living outside of the city, based on the fact that everybody thought that you were a condemned sinner, you know, otherwise you wouldn't have to be dealing with this dreaded disease. On top of all of these things, you could never be touched. You said goodbye to your family. You'd never be back in your own house. You'd never go back and be with your own family. But what did verse 41 say? You saw it with me a moment ago. It said, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. And it causes me to wonder in the case of this leper, how long had it really been since the last time he had felt a human touch? Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. Jesus reached out his hand and touched an untouchable person. That was a really big deal. It ought to motivate us. The ministry of Jesus, Jesus ought to be compelling to us. It ought to cause us. You know, a lot of people, maybe you've even thought about people that you think, hey, I need to invite them to come next week. But there is no way that they would ever come to church with me. They're just, no, I don't want to set myself up for no response. So I'm not even going to uh, trouble myself to invite them. Listen, be willing to touch somebody that you may think is an untouchable person. See, Jesus was always about his father's business which involved loving the unlovable and touching the untouchable and forgiving the hopeless and healing those who were sick and those who were broken. And Jesus was all about one-third of his ministry, about restoring health to those who had lost it. I love this verse right here. Look at it with me. This is a great verse. Believing prayer will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Now, we're not at the end of the service, but I want to pray right now. And some of you are thinking, well, it'd be nice to be at the end of the service, but we're not. I got a little more, two more people to go. But this is, in all seriousness, what I want to do right now. See, I'm crazy enough to believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Am I the only one? I believe it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hey, I'm crazy enough to believe that Jesus is still healing people today. I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. And it's for that reason I'm going to ask you right now. And we're not going to take long, and I'm not going to beg and plead. But I want to pray. I seriously want to pray that if you need healing in your body, or maybe you need healing in your mind, that you would just go ahead right now and stand to your feet. And I want to pray for you right where you're standing. Just go ahead and stand right now. If you need healing in your body, just stand wherever you're at. And I want to pray. And I want to join you. 
Because if you're not standing, you're walking apparently in some measure of health. And I just want to ask you to join me. And let's pray right now for these that are standing. This is what we believe, Lord. We believe that you went about doing good. This is what we believe, that you went about healing all manner of disease. We read in your word that you would heal people just like we're talking about, those who were lepers. We know that you opened blind eyes. We know that you caused, as we'll see, Lord, people who were paralyzed to be able to walk. We know that there is nothing that you cannot do. You even brought the dead back to life again. And so, God, we just pray right Right now, you said it in your word. If two or three agree together on earth as touching anything, it shall be done. And we're believing that people that are standing right now, Lord, we believe they're going to be healed. By your stripes, we were healed. Lord, you descended upon your people with healing in your wings. And Father, we just believe right now, we believe in supernatural healing. God, we're not so sophisticated that we've ruled that out. We don't think that that's something of past days or the early apostolic age. We believe that divine healing is for right now, and we pray that you would touch your people in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. If Jesus came to restore health to those who had lost it, Jesus also, secondly, came to restore freedom to those who had lost it. One of the things I love about Jesus is he made it a habit to be in church regularly. As you'll see in just a moment, the language was, in terms of Jesus' church attendance, it was his custom. In other words, it was his habit. It was the pattern of how he lived his life. In fact, it's ironic when you really think about it. Think about it this way, that the person who you might would say needed church the least actually showed up for church the most. Can I say that again because you're a little quiet this morning? That the person who actually needed church the least was the one who engaged in it the most. Now, you study this sometime. Notice what happens when Jesus was traveling. He would show up for church. It was his custom. And if he was traveling, he couldn't always be at the same church on the same uh, day of worship. So he would show up at church. And usually when he showed up for church, he was asked to address or to teach the congregation as a visiting rabbi. And I, let me just say for one, I completely get that. In fact, while I was working on this talk, I thought about, you know, what if Jesus, we were living in the days when Jesus walked the earth and, and we we just happened to be in the region where Jesus had taken his ministry and Jesus on this particular day was going to be in Lakeland, Florida. And out of all the 5,432 churches or however many there are right around us, Jesus showed up at our church today. And right now I just noticed, oh, Jesus is here. Can I tell you what? I would immediately get a stomach ache. I would say, you know, you know, something like this. I mean, I, I work really, really hard on this talk, but I'd, I'd just be so fumbling for words. I'd say, well, you know, I really didn't have a lot of time to study this week. So Jesus, could you please come and take over right here? Who would want to stand and teach when Jesus was in the crowd? And on this particular occasion, Jesus is in this church, and, and um, this is in Luke chapter 4, and it's really, really uh, neat what plays out here. So he was asked as the visiting rabbi, hey, come up, not just a visiting rabbi, like the rabbi of all rabbis. He was asked to come and to speak. 
Look with me at these verses up on the screen, picking up at verse 16 of Luke 4. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he's in his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. What are these four words? As was his custom, I suggest that for you and for me. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is doing this. He's like, he's reading from the, from the Old Testament account of uh, Isaiah. Then he rolled up the scroll. Look at this. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And for good reason. Because Jesus is actually announcing right here, right here on the spot that he is the liberator and the deliverer and the freedom bringer that Isaiah had actually prophesied about hundreds of years before this startling event ever took place in church that day. And Jesus is saying what Isaiah said a long, long, long time ago. It's being fulfilled before your very eyes. I am your liberator. I am your freedom bringer. I am your deliverer. And he sat down, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and everybody's like, oh, oh, what have we just seen? What have we just heard? Perhaps you noticed this unique phrase in verse 19. Jesus said this, he has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what he's talking about? A lot of you Bible scholars do that are in here. You know that what he's actually referencing is actually the year of Jubilee. And if we had a lot of time, I could talk to you about that. But that goes all the way back to Old Testament Israel. When there would be this proclamation of a year of Jubilee, it would happen every 50 years and all debts were forgiven. How many of you like that idea? Possessions would be returned to the original owner. The land would be given 12 months of rest. Why? Because it is the year of Jubilee. It is the year of the Lord's favor. And Isaiah was saying this, Jesus the Messiah will come one day. He will arrive. He will be our liberator. He will set us free from all of our limitations. Mm, so good. And here's just one example of that in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read it in just a moment. In fact, you can go ahead and pull it off the screen because I know how people are. They're like me. They'll go ahead and read, not listen right now. There you go. Good job. But I want to set up what's happening. There's a man that is paralyzed, and he has a lot of friends, and his friends want to bring him to Jesus. But there's such a huge crowd that they can't even get into the house where Jesus is. And people inside of the house are standing wall to wall. Now, let me just mention, this is not their house. This is the house. Maybe they knew the person. Maybe they didn't. But they are so desperate to get their friend who needs freedom to Jesus that they actually somehow, some way, get this paralyzed guy, these buddies. This is how much they love their friend. They get the guy up on the roof. And then they start tearing the roof apart. How much do you appreciate that if you're the owner of, of the house? And they just start tearing his roof off. And they lower the man down. Now, look at this up on the screen. This is Luke 5. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of these friends, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Ooh, this is big. It's big. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. Look at that. Began thinking to themselves. Thinking. They didn't say it. Thinking to themselves. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
I love this phrase. Jesus knew what they were thinking. They weren't even saying anything, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. How many of you think they were struck when Jesus answered a question they hadn't even asked out loud that only thought about in their mind? And Jesus said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. How many of you think that he and his buddies are just, you talk about high fives. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, we need to do something about this guy's roof when we get through celebrating. (laughs) Jesus actually does two things here. Much to the chagrin of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, religious people who had no real relationship with God. They were rule keepers and law followers, but they had no relationship with Yahweh, the one true God. Jesus just really set them on edge when he did this for this man. He liberated the man from his sins. Who has the authority on earth to forgive sins except God alone? They're just thinking it. Jesus said, I do. I do. And he liberated the man from his sins, and he liberated the man from his limitations. So I ask you, what is it that you need to be liberated from? What is it that you need to be set free from today? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an addiction. I'll stop. I can stop. I will stop. I could stop if I wanted to. But you just never stop. What do you need to be liberated from? Fear or depression. Maybe you need to be liberated from bitterness that's just eating up like a dreaded disease on the inside of you. Maybe you need to be set free from lust or from guilt, or from insecurity. Jesus came not only to restore health to people that had lost it. He came to restore freedom to those who had been subjected to severe limitations. But Jesus is not done. Jesus also came to restore dignity to those who had lost it. It's no secret that people today are riddled by an epidemic of guilt and shame and regret. How many of us have thought this? If only I could hit restart. If only I could go back. Oh, I'd do it so much differently. Oh, if I could only go back, I would have done this. If I could only go back, I would have never done that. We live in a world, in a culture that is riddled by guilt and shame and regret. See, we've got a massive problem on our hands. We really do. And the problem is we live in a broken world. And it's been broken ever since sin entered the world. And can I just tell you that whenever you find sin, shame and guilt and regret are not going to be trailing far behind. Let me say that again. Whenever you find sin, shame, regret, and guilt will be closing in close behind. It was not intended to be that way because everything above everything else that God created, only people were created with dignity. The collapse actually happened early on 
with Adam and Eve, the first of God's creation. When God said to them, listen, I'm giving you this beautiful garden to live in. It's beautiful. It's immaculate. It's wonderful. It's got in it everything that you need. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. Only, 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 only don't do this. And what did they do? The one thing that God told them not to do. What is it that makes it appealing, the one thing you know you can't do? What makes it appealing to do that thing? And we do it in the simplest things. How many of you have ever at some point in your life, you walked by something that said wet paint, and you just had to check it out to make sure? Oh, yeah, it is. Or no, it's not. They should take this sign down. Don't touch. Don't walk in the grass. You know, when I see a sign that doesn't say walk in the grass, I want to I want to walk in the grass. Because it said don't, and we're like, ooh, but I want to. There's a telling verse in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned. Look at what happens. At that moment, after they did the one thing that God told them they could not do, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They'd been naked the whole time, but now they realize it. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And can I just tell you, I want you to think about this. I wish I had more time to talk about it, but I need to keep moving. This has been the pattern of human beings ever since. We sin, we feel shame, so we cover it up. We sin, we feel shame, so we try to cover it up. This has been going on ever since Adam and Eve. Every time I read this story that I'm about to read to you, and it's not on the screen, I'll read the verses. I think it's verses 3 through 11 in John 8, I believe. But every time I read these verses in my own personal devotional time, I just get mad. I get mad. I get angry because I try to insert myself in the text and just see what would I have been feeling? What would I have been seeing? What would I have been smelling? What would I have been experiencing if I was standing right there and I get mad Every time I read this until I get to the part where Jesus does what Jesus does. We meet a lady in John 8 who had absolutely lost her dignity. She had been caught in adultery. Scripture says in the very act. Now you can study this later on your own and I hope you will. And you'll come to the realization that this is actually all this plays out as a trap for Jesus. She's just a pawn in the scheme of a lot of evil people. And that's the part that makes me mad. It wasn't really uh, about her dignity that they were concerned about. It was about their condemnation of what she had been caught doing and using it as an effort to try to trap Jesus. So it's not on the screen, so let me read. John 8, the teachers of the law, there they are again, and the Pharisees, there they are again, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, you know, one of the things that makes me mad every time I read it, I want to pound my fist and say, Where's the guy? It takes two. Last time I checked, at least that's what they told me when I was in school in health class. Where's the guy? Where's he at? In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Again, it's a trap. They were using, in fact, verse 6 actually says that. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. He doesn't even respond. And I'm loving this. He's like, hmm. 
Scholars for a long, long time have debated what Jesus was writing. I think he was doodling. When they kept on questioning him because he's not responding, he straightened up. He stopped. He straightened up and said to them, let any of you, I love this. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down. And guess what he starts doing? He starts writing on the ground again with his finger. But this time, I don't think he's doodling. You know what I think? I can't prove it. I wasn't there. I, I can't prove it. But I think what he started doing is he started writing out all of their sins. Pride. Envy. Lust, lying. I I think he just started, stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard it began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Have you ever read this and thought, the older ones first? Why the older ones first? They had lived longer, and I think they had committed more sins. Until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up, again, he's been writing on the ground, straightened up a second time and asked her, Woman, And a lot of times we read that like, oh, you know, couldn't Jesus have said that nicer? But you, you don't understand the language if that's how you feel. It wasn't like, woman. That's not what Jesus, woman, like we'd see in a sitcom or something like that. In fact, when Jesus uses the word woman here, it was a very endearing term. It, it actually meant sister. It was like saying sister. Like when I talk to my sisters, sister. Or when you're talking to a... F- Fellow believe, sister, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Man, had it been a lot of people, I'm going to give you all the reasons why you should never do this again. I want you to know how bad and how wicked. And Jesus, please be sure that you get this. Jesus was not making light of her sin. In fact, what does Jesus say? He says, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. In other words, you know better than this. You know better. And my plan for you is so much greater than So Jesus doesn't make light of sin. But what Jesus is all about is doing what a friend of sinners would do. And he was defending her dignity. And guess what? Jesus was a friend of sinners then. And he's a friend of sinners now. That's why you need to be sure you bring people to church with you next week. Because we're going to tell them, no matter who they are or what they've done, that there is a God in heaven. Well, I'd invite them, but they, they, you know, they're just so hard. They'll never come to Jesus. Hey, listen, don't put yourself in God's place. That's God's business. Your responsibility, my responsibility is to get them here. It's God's responsibility to do something with them once they come. Well, don't underestimate. Well, I'll bring them. They'll never, I mean, they'll never, ever come to church. They, I, uh, they're just so hard. They're just so cynical. They're just so skeptical. Something bad happened to them in church years ago. They'll never come to a church. Well, do everything you can. And then once you get them here, allow God by his Holy Spirit to do in fact, can I just tell you, we've been working really hard on the music. We've been working really hard on the mess. We're going to do all that. But I'm going to do my best to stay out of the way next week to allow Jesus to do what he wants to do in the hearts of your family members and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. Because when Jesus steps into a situation, he can change everything just like that, just like that. How many of you believe that? The story reminds us that we should always be a people and always be a church that lands on the side of grace. 
When I stand before Jesus, as I know I will one day, I want to hear Jesus say, Jeff, if you lean a little one direction more than the other, you lean more in the direction of grace. And I'd be okay with that. I'd much rather hear Jesus tell me, you leaned a little bit heavy to grace rather than say, Jeff, why were you so judgmental? We ought to be a people of grace. Do you agree? We ought to be a church of grace. Can I just say this? If you're a perfect person, you need to find another church because this is not a perfect church. There's not a perfect pastor. We don't have a perfect staff. We don't have a perfect church family. We're just all people that believe in grace because we've been recipients of it. And I want that so badly for your friends and for your family next week. Two more verses, we're done. In fact, you can go ahead and stand. We're getting ready to do a song, but as they get ready to come, I want you to look at these two verses real quick up on the screen. And it's a reminder to us all. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What a great verse. And look at this last one. God sent his son. And we end with where we started. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to seek, to save the world. He came to seek and to save the lost. God is still a friend of sinners. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Maybe you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And you're like, man, I'm ready to receive Jesus now. Do I need to wait till Easter Sunday? Oh, no. Right here, right now, this moment, you can pray and you can say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, restore to me my dignity. I'm tired of this guilt. I'm tired of shame. I'm tired of regret. I want to be in a right relationship with you. Jesus, come into my life. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. If that's you, put your hand straight up in the air and hold it there for about two seconds. And then you can put it right back down. Just put it right up in the air for just a moment. And you can put it right back down. Thank you, Jesus that you are still restoring people today. You restore health to those who have lost it. You restore freedom to those who need to be liberated. And you restore dignity to those, God, who have lost it. And Father, we just pray right now that every person in this building and online who's ready to receive you would just say right now, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Give me a restart. Only in you can I reset. Only in you can I get a do-over. Forgive me of my sins. Help me. I need freedom from my habits and my addictions and my problems. I need freedom from the things that keep me chained and bound. And I know that that can only happen with you. My power is not enough. But Lord, you said that where I'm weak, you'll make me strong. And I need you in my life. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let's all sing together.